it's kind of funny when I think about it. Um, the the craziness we're seeing in the world, um, and not just the world, but in in my life, Riley's life. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Star Report, by the way. Um, it's in times like these where I find myself, and maybe you listening to this find yourself uh, turning back to some of the stories that mean the most to us. Um, in my case, that's Lord of the Rings and, and you know Chronicles of Narnia and, and Star Wars. These childhood companions that we all grew up with. And sometimes it's easy to forget that's exactly what they are. They're, they're, they're part of these stories helped raise us in, in some ways, at least. I know that's the case for me. And uh, in the era of the internet and film journalism and podcasting and all that on, and, and the fast pace of life, it's, it's easy to forget that and, and to move beyond what these stories meant to us growing up. So uh, that's a little bit about what I'm going to share for, uh, for the podcast this week, guys. And it's not me. It's, it's the man. It's George Lucas. I actually just got finished... Just literally just finished listening to, um, I just literally finished uh, listening to this interview with George Lucas that I'd never heard before, and I thought, what better way than to share that for this, the last Star Wars Report podcast episode, for a few weeks probably. <laughs> but no, that's actually why we missed the um, the podcast last week, and there will be no podcast this week or pro- or the next week. Um, because I, and I guess I, I just have to give, uh, I won't dwell on all the crazy details and stuff. That's, I won't be too self-indulgent, but suffice to say, uh, my life's been kind of crazy the last few weeks. Um, as I've mentioned on the podcast, uh, literally about to get married. <laughs> um, and, uh, all of the, uh, the kind of in quick succession, uh, honeymoon plans, groomsmen, elderly travel, then the ceremony itself, reception itself, all the plans kind of wiped away by this this crazy coronavirus thing. Um, the 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 long and short of it is uh, I am going to get, it was looking a little questionable there, but I am going to get to marry the woman I love very dearly, uh, Savannah, this next weekend uh, at the end of the month with uh, what's looking like just our parents and uh, a couple family members. Um, and that's because of the uh, all the lockdowns going around with the uh, COVID-19 virus. A lot of very scary real-world stuff um, associated with this pandemic has affected um, all of our lives very personally. Uh, but, but that definitely includes me. Um, if you follow me on social media, I post a little bit about it. But it is a very, it's a clarifying experience. And it, it makes you focus on the important things. Um, and as I kind of open the show, it's I find myself um, uh, active duty, still working nights um, on my days off. I've been revisiting some of the uh, uh, the movies, books, and stories that mean the most to me, and that includes Star Wars. I've really been digging into um, the secret history of Star Wars, and that's prompted me to kind of dig into some older interviews and stuff with George Lucas, and really just immerse myself in the 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 philosophy of George Lucas as a storyteller uh, and I've absolutely loved doing that so amidst all of this craziness going on in the real world and giving you guys I guess kind of an update on the podcast and why I'm going to be off the radar for a few weeks while I uh, put in you know all these uh, last minute changes and plans for getting married and all of the craziness that's associated with that so um I had to kind of give you an update because, well, it also affects the the podcast. But anyway, so I say all that to say, I thought this would be a nice little placeholder until we're able to bring the show back in a few weeks. Um, I'd never heard, I've only ever heard clips from it, which I think is an indication of the world we live in. Um, but it, this is the Charlie Rose interview with George Lucas that was released around the same time as The Force Awakens. Um, this is the famous white slavers quote interview where he kind of cracks a joke at the end about him selling his children. And he actually, he came out and apologized for his unfortunate turn of phrase there, but the motion was real. And I think that's where it came from. 
And I remember seeing, of course, that was the big headline. And I remember reading the quote. I saw the clip. But this interview is almost an hour long. And it really digs into all of George's career and how he looks back on it now. And I found it especially meaningful hearing him sort of talk about how storytelling is is a production process now so different than uh what he always wanted to do he you know he famously talks about his little personal films um but it's it's just interesting to hear him talk about it now because now the movie industry because that's what it is the industry um it is difficult the the franchise sequel fatigue like creativity and storytelling i i think star wars is sort of at a a moment of crisis, at least in that specific part, that way, the, the, a vision for what the future is going to be. That's, that's currently the, what they're trying to figure out of what to do with star Wars. And so I found it really interesting to go back and hear George Lucas at the very end of his career as a, you know, you know, uh, filmmaker, filmmaking executive, head of Lucasfilm, hear his reflection and there's a lot of lessons learned i think for what star wars could do moving forward uh beyond just him kind of talking about the hurt of having just sold his company and looking at the force awakens like that's really where all the discussion was but i loved him talking about filmmaking as an art form and how he views it um so i'm without any further ado i'm gonna sort of put this post-it note put this placeholder this bookmark on uh, the star wars report podcast for uh just a few weeks if you want to stay in touch in between shows though of course um i just want to say a quick shout out to everybody who supports the show uh on patreon uh content's still going up there uh, there's a pause on that for a few weeks but we will be back strong uh doing our clone wars commentary series uh soon so i wanted to say a shout out and thank you and plug for the patreon um and then also uh, you can stay in touch with me. Uh, best way to do that is on Instagram at the Riley Guy. So um, I'll leave the uh, this rather disjointed, completely unstructured, no notes introduction to a, a Star Wars podcast uh, probably ever, and listen to uh, George talk to his friend Charlie Rose in a very refreshing and unfiltered manner. And we'll be back with you guys really soon. May the Force be with you. You have every honor that a man could have. You've got almost Oscars. No. No Oscar? No Oscars. I got the Irving Then why have they given you this award, then, if you don't have an Oscar? I don't have anything. I don't really have a lot of awards, to be very honest with you. I have the Irving Thalberg Award, and, um, you know, and I get a lot of little awards. Yeah. Uh, I've got two Emmys, but I've never had an Academy Award. I've been nominated, but I've never won. I'm too uh, popular for that. Too popular? Meaning what? They don't give Academy Awards to popular films. Are you proud of the fact that you make films that people want to go see? Yeah. So I believe popular is okay with you? Popular is okay with me. I think it's a very important part of society. And if you're making a work of art or a film or whatever and nobody sees it, I don't see where it does anybody any good. I tell you who thinks it does do people good is Francis. Yes. Francis is making movies that satisfy one person. That's right. Him. But I'm not sure with society at large it's helping much. You know, and of course, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to make movies that only I want to see and I want to do. I've always wanted to do that. I fell into popular movies by accident. I always disliked Hollywood theatrical movies. I didn't want anything to do with them. So, But you simply knew how to make them. No, I mean, I guess it was embedded in my DNA. It's, it's that particular thing, which is... I'm not sure whether it's a coincidence that some people like Steven and I grew up in the same environment. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. You know, we liked the movies. Same thing with Marty. There's a whole generation right there that were came of age in the 60s. 
that grew up on movies. I didn't really grow up on movies, but it was a part of my life in terms of it wasn't, you know, it, it, I came up at the beginning of television, and the whole idea of visual storytelling and that sort of thing was at the right moment. I got in there, and what we really, what I wanted to do, and what a lot of the people wanted to do, was simply make films that people liked and, and enlightened them, entertained them, um, and that's what we were in the business for. We liked movies. But the irony of this is that you are considered one of the most innovative filmmakers ever in well, the history of cinema. But the innovation part is because I, um, like, uh, I hate to say the word artist, but I will say the word artist. Uh, they, for thousands of years, were also the scientists, the engineers, and the artists. Because in order to accomplish certain works, especially in architecture, you had to figure out how to accomplish it because you know, I mean, they sat with the um, the Domo in uh, in uh, Florence for hundreds yeah. of years because they couldn't figure out how to put the dome on it. And Brunelleschi, who did it, went and studied the um, the Pantheon and other places where they had big domes because they used to do it in Rome. Mm. But by the time they got the Renaissance, it was after the Dark Ages, and nobody knew how to do that stuff anymore. So he had to actually invent the ratcheting. Uh, um, pulley in order to be able to get oxen to pull bricks up that high. So that's what you have done. You have that's been able to create new things simply because I no one had done it before and you had to do it on I, your own. Because I had a story to tell. Yeah. There's a gap between what is possible and where my vision is. And I've had to fill that gap, which is what anybody does. You don't invent technology and then figure out what to do with it. You come up with an artistic problem and then you have to invent the technology in order to accomplish it. So it's the opposite of what most people think it is, and any artist will tell you that. And art, on all levels, is just technology, which is why it's, you know, people say, well, monkeys can do paintings. Well, they can't really. They can do, they can do scribbling, they can do like what my two-year-old does, but if you want to say, I want to uh, convey an emotion to another human being. That's something only human beings can do. Animals can do it by roaring in your face or biting your hand off, and that usually has an effect. But to do it in a painting, to do it in a play or in a story, in, a, in, a, in poetry, or anything that's in the arts, you have to be a human being. So we've talked about artist, filmmaker, innovator, director, Storyteller. Well, a director is just somebody who's got a uh, uh, fetish with making the world to be the way he wants it to be. <laughs> sort of narcissistic. That's you. All directors. They're no different. And you're a director. They, yeah. All directors are they're 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 vaguely like emperors, which is I want to build the society to be to reflect me and what I want. And the great thing about you don't have to kill a lot of people and build a lot of stuff and spend a lot of money. If you're a king and want to do that, it's good for society, yeah. obviously. But a director can do it with a lot less money and just say, I'm going to create a world where people can fly. So what does Star Wars and Indiana Jones say about the world you want to create? Well, Star Wars and Indiana Jones were basically put together, especially Star Wars, more than Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was just done for fun, to entertain people. Uh, and there were some messages in there about you know, uh, archaeology and also about what we believe in in terms of myths right, and that right. sort of thing. But the real one is Star Wars, and that was done in the same vein that um, uh, what I was saying about the, 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 the patron creates the propaganda, and what I wanted to do was go back to some of the older propaganda, which was consistent through all of the societies, which is mythology, but to say, what did they all believe? Because they were all, this propaganda was created independently. Yeah. And what, is the, what are the things that they all actually believed? We're talking about relationships with your father, relationships with your society, relation, your history, uh, relationships with the gods. All of this stuff is it's old, but they're psychological motifs that were created 
through storytelling, primarily oral storytelling, that explained what they believed in and who they believed in. So what I wanted to do is go back and find the psychological motifs that underlie that, because those grow out of uh, a popularism, and to say that not all, but a majority of people, boys, have a certain psychological relationship with their fathers. And that's been going on through history and trying to explain that to say, we know your darkest secret. Yeah. And therefore, you're part of us because we all know the same things. We know what you're thinking about your mother. We know what you think about your brother. We know what you think about your father, really. Yeah. And those are the things that make people say, hey, uh, this is why we believe this stuff. And again, the, the crudest part of that in terms of the uh, religious, um, spiritual thing, is some people have taken those ideas and then distorted them and you end up in a cult where they're using the psychological tools to make you adhere to their society. And part of it is they have to keep it closed. And to them. And to them. And, but, in, but it's the same thing. I mean, and again, you go through history, you know, and even though in most cases you had open societies, but they really weren't because, let's face it, you, had, you were going to get killed if you go outside the wall, so let's build a wall around the whole thing so we can defend ourselves. So they were self-fulfilling, you know, isolated human events. Because you wear, have worn all these hats, though, filmmaker, director, storyteller, writer, uh, technological innovator, um, what do you want the first line of your obituary to say? That was a great dad. Well, I tried. <laughs> but do you consider yourself any of those things first? Writer, storyteller, filmmaker, problem well, first, solver? First is dad. I mean, I gave up directing in order to become a dad. You know, for 15 years. Directing, I just ran a company and was an innovator, but it was uh, not doing what I really like to do, which is actually make movies. Because and, you wanted to be a dad. Because yeah, I, I and I never. It was one of those things where you don't expect it to happen. But once I was a dad, um, it was like a bolt of lightning struck me, and uh, I ended up getting divorced around that time, and I just decided, well, I think I'm just gonna take care of my daughter, because that seems like the right thing to do. You know, I made these, it was right after Return of the Jedi. I said, I made all these movies, uh, and uh, I'm not going to escape Star Wars. And uh, my central concern was my daughter, so I just said, I'm going to raise my daughter, and then uh, we ad adopted another daughter, and then adopted another son, and right. it wasn't until like 15 years later that I actually said, okay, I'm gonna go back now and make direct movies again. So it was very much, and it's in the meantime, I had developed a lot of technology to do things that I could not do when I was doing Star Wars. Because in, in Star Wars, because it's a science fiction film, it's a fantasy film, it pushes the limit, the technological limits of the medium. Science fiction, fantasy, those sorts of things. You really, there's many things can't be done, they just can't. And there's an equation ultimately, which is the how popular is something, how much does it cost? And they subtract one for the other and decide whether they're going to do it or not. So a lot of the films, when I was doing Star Wars, right after Star Wars, they didn't have room for spectacular. They only had room for, you know, street movies. So, which is what I'd been doing before that. And so doing something that was sort of, you know, an epic, a, 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 a historical piece, science fiction, fantasy, any of those things, you just couldn't do it because they cost too much money. And technically, you couldn't accomplish it. Kennedy Center honoree, that's a big deal. What does it mean to you? Um, well, I could be glib. <laughs> no, just be real. I'm sitting here with a guy who's got, who's the happiest he's probably ever been, married, two-year-old daughter, um, all the money he'll ever need, sitting in this remarkable place where you live. Um, 
So you got everything. But here is a saying that you are really one of America's finest artists. What does that mean to you that these people are going to honor you sitting next to the president at the Kennedy Center? Well, um, you know. Don't be glib, I, be real. Well, I will be real. I'm not much into awards. It doesn't mean that much to me because I've gone through this and I know it's just a group of people get together and say, we're going to give you this award. And a lot of them, it's just basically you're there to draw eyeballs. Yeah, but there are awards and there are awards. Uh, and I've got to believe that this means something to you. Well, it does mean something to me. What is it? I don't know. It's, you know, again, I've got the, the Medal of Arts, I've got the I Medal know. of Technology, I've got the... So it's know, just another award that the hell, you just give him another award, he'll show up if you want him to, but he doesn't care. Well, yeah, it's, you know, I know it's about the TV show, it's not about me. <laughs> this is not a big TV show. The well, Kennedy Center TV Honors show. as a television show doesn't do very well and shown in the middle of December. I know. So it's not about a TV show, it's not the Oscars, this is in Washington, you know, where all of Washington turns out, and it in fact selects only five people each year, and it's not based on what you've done that year, or some one movie, it's based on what you have achieved in your career. Right. And all of a sudden, but, you know, and you're putting you up in a pantheon of people that you really admire, yeah. like your friend Steven Spielberg, okay? We give each other awards all the time. Francis and I give awards to each other all the time. Okay. You know, we're, we're in a group, obviously, Marty and I do the same thing, where we all happen to be, and you, you gotta remember. Yes. I hate to say this, but there are thousands of award shows every year. So, you know, I'll take a few, couple, of the ones that are meaningful to me, like the Kennedy Center owners. Those are the ones that I will participate in, but I get a lot of other ones. Is there a competition at all between you and Stephen? Sure. What is it? Uh, who can do the better work? And how do you compare? And it's not better work in terms of, it's the oh wow factor. If I can do something and Steve says, oh wow, then I won. And he makes 10 times more movies than I do, so I have to say oh wow a lot more than he does. But I don't resent how many times. It's just that I enjoy the fact that I can see a movie and he can kind of one-up me and do something that I said, gee, that's unbelievable. Well, let me tell you what he says about you. American Graffiti is one of the best films ever made. Yeah, but that's very easy to say. Because of what it was? No, because he went wow. Because he went wow. <laughs> and why did he go wow over American Graffiti? Well, because it was so different and exuberant. And... Okay, go ahead. What else? Um, and had a lot of underpinnings of the kinds of things that um, a filmmaker wants to have in their movie, a lot of observations and sort of um, philosoph philosophical musings. And it was in the guise of an entertainment film. So most people didn't pay attention to any of that stuff, but they knew it, they knew it immediately. You know, it's very, again, critics have a tendency to be extremely glib and they, you know, they have to look at a movie a day or two movies a day and they just rattle off in an hour what their feelings are about it. As a result, you get a very surfacey kind of point of view or an ideological Okay, point I'm of asking view. the filmmaker. I'm not asking critics okay. about this film. Filmmakers, I know how to make movies. I went to film school. I have a knack for it. I studied it very well and practiced and I know what I'm doing. A lot of filmmakers uh, try, but on the technical, t telling a story, how you put a story together, how you make it effective emotionally, I know how to do that. And part of it is I have a talent for it. Part of it is I've worked hard to create and figure out how to do it. Uh, and uh, I'm reasonably effective at it. I've made a lot of movies, as I tell people. I've produced more movies that were failures than successes. As a director, uh, most of my films have been big successes, except for one. So, uh, and a couple of ones I've produced have been huge successes, but most of them haven't been. But I know that going in, I know what's gonna work and what's not gonna work. 
But I do like movies. I love movies. And I know a lot of movies aren't popular. And you can say that going in. One of the reasons I retired is so I could make movies that aren't popular. Because in the world we live in, in the system we've created for ourselves in terms of it's a, a big industry, you cannot lose money. So the point is that you have to, you're forced to make a particular kind of movie. And I used to say this all the time when people, uh, you know, back when uh, Russia was the, the Union of Soviet Socialist right. Republics. And they'd say, oh, but aren't you so glad that you're in America? I said, well, I know a lot of Russian filmmakers, and they have a lot more freedom than I have. All they have to do is be careful about criticizing the government. Otherwise, they can do anything and they so want. And so what do you have to do? You have to adhere to a very narrow line of commercialism. And there's only certain, and it, look, when I started in the 70s, it was like this. You know, I could say Russia was like this, but we were like this. You could do a certain kind of movie. And I flaunted that system. I mean, THX, my first film, is definitely not a, an American film, and I shoved it in sideways. Mm -hmm. Francis helped me trick the studio. Yeah, you know, right, right. Nobody, they would have never let me make that movie if they knew what I was doing. Could George Lucas be George Lucas because uh, early on he got the, he owned the rights to make Star Wars? Well. You negotiated that. Yeah, I mean, coming out of the first film, yes. Look, the difference is... And therefore is, it made you very rich and made you very independent. So you didn't have to make movies because you had independence and you had also built a great business right. well, in addition to making films. So therefore you could preach to anybody you wanted to preach to because you weren't dependent on anybody. Well, the, the issue is ultimately the reality of it, which is... Um, I'm in a unique blend of a practical person, pragmatic yeah. person, and a fantasy, completely daydreaming, you know, guy who's not very practical at all. So, and you combine those two. Well, I didn't, but the DNA, or we can say whatever, whatever force was at work there. To create. I, I, whoever I, created George Lucas gave him those two skills. Yes, and they're, and they're the opposites. Yeah. One of them is a, you know, and I've always been that way. Francis, when we, when we started, we started Zoetrope and started making movies. Francis was very much, and it was odd because when we started, he was a Hollywood director. Right. And I was this crazy kid doing art films. And I said, I'm never going to go into the theatrical film business. I only want to do art films. I'm going to do documentary films, documentaries, cinema verite, that sort of thing was just coming in. And I said, this is what I'm doing. I'm excited. Um, my ambition then was ultimately to be Michael Moore. And A documentary filmmaker? Yeah. And, you know, it caused trouble. Because that's what I, you know, again, I grew up in the 60s. I'm a 60s kind of guy. I always have been. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, Bay Area. And, you know, that's just... That was my environment that I grew up in, and I was perfectly happy to do it. I did not want to make theatrical films. I was making kind of tone poems in school. I was winning awards. Francis and I moved to San Francisco because we didn't, neither one of us liked the Hollywood environment. We started a company up here, and I got to take one of my student films and turn it into a feature, which was, it was a, a, yeah, but it was a tone poem. It was just right. a visual storytelling. You know, the, the, the characters and the plot were not as important as the metaphor and the symbolism. And as a result, and the, the emotional connection between the moving image and the audience. So I did that, and obviously it, our company went bankrupt and I destroyed everything. But, it, it, like, there's always a silver lining, you know. It, caused him to be forced to pay off the debts, which meant he had to go to the Godfather. He challenged me as he was walking out the door. He says, stop doing this artsy-fartsy stuff. Yeah. Make a movie. Make a comedy. I dare you to make a comedy. <laughs> and I said, well, I can do that. Yes. That's so big. I can do anything. You know, I'm in my 20s. I'm George Lucas. No, it's not, it has nothing to do with George no, Lucas. It has to do with I'm, I'm 23. I can do anything. You know, 
that's when you think it. By, by right. 30, you get that beaten out of you. But when you're young, you sort of think you can do anything. And so I did it. And that started, and that was successful, and that started me on a whole different train uh, to do, again, when I did Star Wars, started Star Wars, I certainly didn't think it was going to be a hit. I didn't think American Graffiti was going to be a hit. I had no idea. In, in the beginning, American Graffiti was, the studio hated the film so much they shelved it. And they said, you can't, we're not going to even release this. Maybe we're going to see if we can release it as a movie of the week. But we can't release it in theaters. It's not that good. So that's where I was, and then I started working on Star Wars, and I, I was just doing it because I needed a job to pay, you know, to eat. And I wanted to do this kind of experimental-ish, in my mind, uh, idea about mythology, and take the films that I loved when I was young, which was Republic serials, uh, and transform you know, the kind of movie I wanted to make into a very popular genre. And out of that came both Indiana Jones and Star Wars. But, you know, it was, I wanted to, I thought that was my last movie of this thing. Then I was going to go back to doing what I really wanted to do. And I said, um, you know, at least at the end I want to have done a, a old-fashioned movie. You know, a on sound stages with makeup people and you know, uh, sets and, you know, yeah. do, do the thing, the, the, make one of those movies before I'm kicked out. And, you know, it, uh, the fluke of American Graffiti becoming a hit was like, oh my God, now what? But I guess that'll be the only time that'll ever happen. So I got a hit. So I'll make this movie, which probably won't be a hit. But Star I'll, Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. But, you yeah. know, when you describe Star Wars, you say it's a space opera. It's not a science fiction film. You know, we have large dogs flying spaceships. And, you know, you describe it and people say, oh, dear, this guy's off, you know. He's, he's, and, uh, he's in his own world. And, and, of course, most of my friends are of the, where I was, persuasion. I was further into the art world than they were. But I threw that all away after American Graffiti. I mean, gra Graffiti was, again... I mean, nobody expected me to do a comedy based on THX. Yes. So I said, I can, and I'm not that funny yeah. a guy in real life. I'll show, I'll show Francis I'll I show, can do a comedy. I'll show those guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, but then when I started to go into Star Wars, they said, why are you making a children's film? I said, well, because I think I can have more of an influence on people. And I think I can have things to say that I can actually influence kids, you know, adolescents, 12-year-olds. And, um, you know, that are trying to make their way into the bigger world. And that's basically what mythology was, was to say, I'm saying, this is what we believe in. These are our rules. These are, this is what we are as a society. And we don't do that. The last time we were doing that was Westerns. And, of course, this was in the, the 70s. And the Westerns sort of piddled out in the 50s. So it was like we didn't have any national mythology. So I said, I'm going to try this and see if it works. And I'm just doing it, you know. Um, and it'd be fun because, you know, I like spaceships, I like adventure, I like fun, I like all this stuff. So I'll do it. Um, but I figured that would be the last, I'll do it, I'll have done my thing. Then I got in trouble because the script got out too long, and then I had three scripts instead of one script, and then I had to <laughs> try to get them all finished. And, yeah. you know, I got hooked into this tar baby, and I couldn't get out. And it was a while before I finally realized that no matter what happens, I'm never going to get out. I'm always going to be George Star Wars Lucas, no matter how hard I try to be something else. Just think about the career. At, whenever you decide that there are no more movies to be made by George Lucas, and you look back at a body of work, are you going to say, Star Wars was my crowning achievement, cinematically? <laughs> cinematically, I'd say probably yes. Yes, okay. In what way is it not your crowning achievement? I don't know. Again, it's hard to, you know, I have a pretty low opinion of my movies. So to me, um, I've always said, well, these didn't really turn out the way I'd hoped they would. And, you know, and I can see all the flaws and I can see all the stuff. I mean, American Graffiti is the most fun movie I made uh, in terms of what I created. The most fun movie to work on was Indiana Jones because I didn't have to direct it. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, I, I had the best director in the world. It turned out better. That was the one where everything went right, Yeah. which happens very 
rarely in real life. You know, but it just gets better and better and better, and you just can't believe how wonderful it turns out. Uh, the other ones you suffer through, and you think they're terrible, and then people say, oh, they're great. But it's hard to get that they're actually terrible, because I can see all the, mm. the, the scotch tape and the rubber bands and everything holding it together. Um, and it was just particularly true of Star Wars, number four, because, you know, it barely got made. And I was so disappointed about what my vision was and what it actually turned out to be. Uh, and I complained about it a lot during, right after the movie when, you know, in the interviews you see it, I said, ah, it came yeah. out to be 35% of what I wanted and all this kind of I stuff. Know. But I did have a vision, but the, my vision was way beyond what was possible. And I did the best I could. And then after a lot of people said, well, this is the greatest movie of all time, you have to do that. And I said, well, okay, maybe it's pretty good. And we'll live with that. Uh, and then part of it then was to continue the story. It was just a thing to finish the story. And then after that, I worked on the technology, and I said, well, gee, now I can tell the backstory because the backstory seems to have gotten lost. In When it was one movie, it was much easier to see the backstory of Darth Vader because it was well, all But didn't movie. you intend to, in the beginning, create uh, really three movies when you started? And, and then you decided only to take one part of that life story. Yeah, I took the, I took the first act. Exactly. And there then were three the acts, and you took the first. Yeah, but then the first act didn't really work. So I said, okay, what I'm going to have to do is take the ending of the third film and put it on the first film. You know, I, which you do. You've got a bunch of stuff sitting on your desk as you're creating. So, well, let me take that and stick that in here and make it. So I wasn't worried that much about the sequels when I was actually making it because I have to make this the best film. Uh, you know, because I want this one to succeed and, and work. Um, so then when I moved on to the other ones, I said, well, gee, you know, uh, Ben Kenobi is now dead. I killed him. That was a unfortunate. How am I going to fix that? And uh, what am I going to do about the fact that I already blew the Death Star up? And that's what the ending is. And what, you know, and I, so I went through and so the story stretched itself and moved around. You know, it is a creative process where you're kind of doing things and you maneuver through your imagination. But part of it was simply, when I got down to some of the other movies, I was able to create an environment and a world that wasn't possible when I started the first one. So to me, a lot of the things were just technical, or, you know, in the end, getting Yoda to do a sword fight, which I'd always wanted to do, but I could never do it, because you know, he was a Muppet. Uh, you said famously, Flash Gordon was the inspiration and the Bible. Well, it wasn't the Bible by a long shot. It was the inspiration. But at the same time with Flash Gordon, it was better. I knew I wanted to make a movie based on those serials, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be Flash Gordon. So I did try to get the rights to Flash Gordon, couldn't, but that was good. Uh, because if I had, it would have set me off in a funny okay, thing. Yeah. But because I realized after I didn't get it, I said, well, I really don't want Flash Gordon. I don't, want to do any, I, I want a space opera ah. that's like Flash Gordon. But I, if I were making that movie, I would probably take Flash Gordon out of it and I'd take all that stuff, Mongo and all that stuff. I don't want to do that stuff. Because what I really wanted to do was more on the lines of Star Wars and less on the lines of Flash Gordon. There is a similarity between the two, but there is definitely a, a difference in perspective about how they're doing. So that sent me in the right direction of having to think up something completely new but inspired by, but of course inspired by Westerns and, you know, people go through and say these are Westerns. all the inspirations that were influenced Star Wars. And they are. Just like whether you're a writer, whether you're, no matter what, you're a painter, uh, whether you're a politician, in theory, you have steeped yourself in the, the genre you're working in. And you know all the various kinds of things and you can pull the best parts of what you, you know, uh, of what you've learned in theory, you know, but, you know, it works everywhere except it seems in politics because they are doomed to repeat themselves every few <laughs> years because they do not listen to history. Where did the idea of force come from? The whole thing in Star Wars was to take, um, again, um, ideas, psychological ideas from social issues, political issues, uh, spiritual issues, and condense them down into a um, 
uh, an easy to tell story of those stories. The force basically came from, uh, you know, distilling all of the uh, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, go all around the world, all through time, finding the similarities, and then creating a an easy to hmm. uh, deal with metaphor for what religion is. And the point was is that the, I mean, in the very beginning, when you have people worshiping rocks and deer, they called it life force. They called it the force. Right. That's what it was. And so where did the name come from? It came from basically life force of what the more primitive religions believed in. And then you go through all the other religions and they have the same thing. You know, it's all the same. You know, whether you believe in God, don't believe in God, believe in religion, don't believe in religion. The issue is that you either don't believe there's anything else out there, which is a little, I think would be hard to live with at the same time. I mean, I believe something's out there. I just don't know what it is. I have no idea or what I dare to guess, but I do know that religions aren't based on it. They're human psychological needs that have been put together mostly to create a society. But you believe something's out there. Yeah. So here's what's interesting to me about Star Wars 2. I mean, to hear you talk about it, this was a very personal film. Yeah. Very. Yeah, well, all my films are personal because I didn't, I thought them up, I did them, and you can say, well, but Star Wars is just a, for a kiddies movie. I said, you know, the idea of making it for kids, the idea that it was a fun kiddie movie, all of that stuff was very important to me. I like that sort of thing, and I like Star Wars. And I did it not because I thought it was going to make any money, because, as I say, in the end, we finished it, we showed it to the board of directors of Fox, and they hated it. And I had an ally at the head of the studio, and he fought for me and got through mm -hmm. there, but, you know, nobody thought it was going to be a hit, especially okay, me. Okay, so personal film becomes a among other things, a blockbuster. Right. Well, and again, it was a second time because American Graffiti was a very personal film. And also, Star Wars became a cultural mainstay, as we've said. And yeah. here's what Steven said. He said, it is the moment in which the entire industry changed. Star Wars is the moment when the industry changed. Well, it changed for the good and for the bad. Yeah. And, you know, it's again, when you invent things, well, you don't invent things, I don't know. But when you, when you bring new things into a society, you can either, it's like the balance of the force. Yeah. You can either use it for good or you can use it for evil. And what happens when there's something new, people have a tendency to overdo it. They abuse it. Now, there were two things that got abused with Star Wars and still being abused. One, when Star Wars came out, everybody said, oh, it's a silly movie, it's just a, a bunch of space battles and stuff. It's not real. There's nothing behind it. And I said, well, there is stuff behind it. It's not just a space battle. There's more to it than that. It's much, much more complicated than that. And, but nobody would listen. So they just said, oh, that's simple, and we like the spaceships, we like the stuff. <laughs> so they said, fine. So the spaceships and the that part of the science, fantasy, whatever, got terribly abused. And of course, everybody went out and made spaceship movies. And they were all horrible, and they all lost tons of money. And you say, well, you know, there's more to it than that. You can't just go out and do spaceships. And the other part was, at, was the, which is the technology, which is, oh, we'll just take this new technology. It's great, you know, especially when it came down later to digital technology, where you can really do anything. And then people just abused it all over the place, which they did with color, they did with sound. Whenever there's a new tool, everybody goes crazy and they forget the fact that there's actually a story and that's the point. You're telling a story using tools. You're not using tools to tell a story. You understand that? I do. The, the point was the other thing that, that got abused, naturally in a capitalist society, especially in an American, point of view, which is the studios and everything said, well, wow, we can make a lot of money. This is a license to kill. And they did it. 
They just simply, and of course, the only way you can really do that is not take chances. Only do something that's proven. Let's not do any. We've got to remember, Star Wars came from nowhere. American graffiti came from nowhere. There was nothing like it. Now, if you do anything that's not a sequel, or not a TV series, or not, or it doesn't look like one, they won't do it. They say, we want something that so we know. So that's the downside of Star Wars. That's the downside of Star Wars. And it really shows an enormous lack of imagination and fear of creativity on the part of an industry. I mean, corporations are not known for, you know, maybe not Silicon Valley, but the old okay. institutions are not known for being risk, they're, they're known for being risk averse. And movies are not risk averse. Every single movie is a risk, a big risk. I like to say, you know, it's like the movie business is exactly like professional gambling. Except you hire the gambler, usually some crazy kid with long hair who's like, I don't get this guy at all. You give him $100 million, and you say, go to the tables and come back with $500 million. That is a risk. Now, the studios don't want to think of it that way. They say, well, maybe if we, if we uh, uh, told him that he couldn't bet on red, Maybe if we told them, because we did market research and we realized that red wasn't. So they tried to minimize their risk. But once you, and of course, you're hiring the kid to be, take risks, to be creative, to do things that have never been done before, never been tested. You have no idea whether they're going to work or not. That's completely the antithesis of what a big modern corporation is. Yeah, they want to test things 360 ways, you know, no, yeah. you just go So Hollywood is not like a big American corporation uh, because it'll just throw money away behind somebody and have him go or her go and figure out. But they don't know, they, but they don't know how to do that because they're basically corporate types. They think, some, the worst thing that happens when they think they know how to do it, then they start making decisions that ensure that it's not going to work. But you're George Lucas and you were ahead of your time with American Graffiti. You were ahead of your time with Star Wars. Um, have you been ahead of your time since then? Well, you know, I haven't directed a movie since then. I know that. Producing? I don't know. I was sort of ahead of my time with Red Tails. You know, an all-black film. But you the only person who could have got that made some. Well, I, pay, I paid for it myself. Daniel I paid, Yellow said I, They wouldn't distribute it. They wouldn't yeah. make it. They wouldn't advertise because it. Because of racism or because of what? They just said, the market research says nobody will go to that movie. There you go. And in Europe, nobody will go see but it. But market research said people. nobody would go to Star Wars. Market research may have said no well, one Well, not, but they, but this one was, okay. we know, there is a certain now, over time, a lot of these issues that were just becoming they were dimly aware of them, have become institutionalized. Now they know that movie will do well in France, this movie will do well in Denmark, this movie you can't do in Asia. And they got their markets, they know how much of the share they get, and they do their little analysis, and then they say, well, we will or will not make the movie. It has nothing to do with what I do, which is make a movie, something that people can enjoy. Okay. It has nothing to do with that. I made money in spite of myself. And I think I made money because they didn't care. I didn't care whether I, it was a hit or not a hit. I wanted to make this movie as a movie. And that's the thing that they won't do. And that they can't do it. It's not in their constitution to do that. You know, I have a fiduciary duty to come up with a thing. I got it 10% a year, my stockholders. That's why I would never go public. And that's why I said, I'm not going to be beholden to anybody. And that's why even now with the company, when I sold it, one of the reasons I sold it was I was starting to make movies that were more personal and we're obviously losing a lot of money. And I said, I really can't do this much more because the company will be dragged down. And I had 2,000 employees, so I had people to think about. So I said, the best way to handle this is to sell it and then take the money, put it in a, in a bank account. I call it my yacht because a lot of my friends have yachts. I said, I'm not going to buy a yacht, but I'll take the money that I would use to have a yacht and I'll put it in a bank account and I will use that to make movies that I know are experimental, that I have no way of knowing whether they'll work or not, but I want to see if they work. And that means I don't have to show them to an audience, I don't have to have people... So when are we going to see that movie? You're not. You might. <laughs> but you're in a world now where everything is... Well, first of all, those movies 
you know they don't make money. Yeah. And you can't, like Red Tail's a perfect example. Not only does it not make money, you can't get anybody to distribute it. You can't get anybody to put any advertising money behind it. You can't, so it loses money no matter how you do it. So why in the world go through all that, get bad reviews, get all the you know, crazy people yelling and screaming at you? Why not just make the movie for yourself and your friends? And that's where you are in your life today. Yeah, I'm that's doing exactly what I wanted to do back when I started, but I'm gonna learn things and the things I learn, possibly I'll, I'll pass on to other friends of mine and other people who are directors to say, you know, I didn't know you could do that. Because that's what directors do. You know, they learn from what all their peers are doing. You know, I'm doing this and I'm doing... You sort of see how they manipulate film, the, the, the visual image, moving image, and do things that have never been done before. And so that's what I want to do. Because in the, in the movie business, you cannot uh, take a risk. You cannot do something that doesn't work. You don't get a second chance. I've taken second chances, but I've just taken to polish yeah. them. I but at the same time, you can't, there's no experimenting. Like, there's no experimenting in the movies. What you do is every day on the set, what you're doing has to be right. If it's not right, if, and you make the mistake enough, the film will fail. If the film fails, then the people lose their money, and, uh, you know, and you yeah. usually don't okay. get another job. But, but are you telling me, and, and is this where you, what you believe today, that in your life's experience, you know how to make a popular movie, mm -hmm. but that's just not what you want to do at right. this stage in your life? Yeah. Why would I? You don't need the money. I don't need the money. Uh, my interests have shifted to more mature things. I mean, I did the kids thing. I did it. To me, it's six films, and you know. And why do you say is. the kids thing? Well, it is a kids film. You know, I mean, adults like it. It's for everybody, obviously. But the kinds of movies I'm going to make now are much more demanding of an audience, and most of the audience won't have anything to do with it. And it's on subject matter that most people don't want to see movies about. So, but I do, and. You know, it's, it's, uh, I've made movies for me that I wanted to see, but I knew what they were. You know, I said, okay, this is this movie, this is this movie, this is this movie. And in producing films, where I was able to get other people to put their money in, um, studios, I wouldn't mm -hmm. take it from real people, I'd only take it from corporations. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the Robin Hood thing. <laughs> yes, I know. Let me just talk about the upcoming Star Wars, The Force Awakens. How do you feel about it? Well, it's, um, you know, I made the decision to sell the company with Star Wars. I made that decision because I looked at the future, I looked at the fact that I was going to have a baby, I looked at the fact that I was married, and I looked at the fact that I wanted to build a museum, and I looked at the fact that I wanted to make experimental films. So my life was going on a different track. I noticed the last few movies that I'd made were costing the company a lot of money, and I didn't think that was fair to the people that worked there or the company, and so um, I had made a decision to move ahead on the next Star Wars series, and we were starting to do that. So you were starting to make the next Star Wars? Yeah. You as director, filmmaker. So, and we were working with a writer. It wasn't quite working out, but I was also, uh, you know, I was also stepping away a little bit to, and turning things over to uh, Kathy Kennedy. And so, um, what happened was, Disney said, "Gee," or Bob Iger said, "Gee, if you really want to sell your company, if you're thinking about selling it, because we were talking about retirement and what are you going to do after all this kind of stuff." And he said, "Well, if you really want to sell it, you know, we're very interested." So that started that ball rolling, and I knew from, you know, and I had the story treatments or you know outlines, and um, and we were about to we were working on scripts, and. Um, so I sold it, but I knew when I sold it, I said, I've tried to uh, make movies where I step away to sort of 
Empire and uh, Return of the Jedi. Right, right. And after about a couple of weeks, I knew I couldn't do that. I had to stand over the shoulder of the director, help him, you know, whisper in his ear constantly, no, do this, do that, do that, you know, and, and be there to help guide it. And it was much harder than if I had just directed it myself. J.J. Abrams? J.J. Abrams. He's a good director and he's a good friend and all this sort of thing. But he's also a top director, company, his own company, all this other stuff. And Disney, uh, who was a little nervous, you know, there's one of the issues was the first three movies had all kinds of issues. They looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So I said, all I wanted to do was tell a story of what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. I mean, ultimately. I mean, space, we call it space opera, but it, people don't realize it's actually a soap opera. Yeah. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing. And so I decided, fine. But basically, I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway. But at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble because they're not going to do what I want them to do. So and I don't have the control to do that anymore. And all I would do is muck everything up. So I said, okay, I will go my way and I'll let them go their way. And it really does come down to uh, a simple rule of life, which is when you break up with somebody, the first rule is no phone calls. The second rule, you don't go over to their house and drive by to see what they're doing. The third one is you don't show up at their coffee shop or the things where you're going to burn it. You just say, no, gone, history, I'm moving forward. Because every time you do, and you know, we all learn this from experience, every time you do something like that, you're opening the wound again. And it just makes it harder for you. You have to put it behind you, and it's a very, very, very hard thing to do. But you have to just cut it off and say, okay, end the ballgame. i got to move on. And everything in your body says, don't, you can't. These are my kids. So All those Star Wars films. All the Star Wars films. They were your kids. Yeah, well, they are. My, you know, I, I loved them. I created them. Um, I'm very intimately involved in them. And obviously to and sell them And you sold them. I sold them to the white slavers that take these things and... And, uh, <laughs> okay, but, but I mean, but, but having said all that and having talked to you for the last and, and known you for a, a while and admired you, I mean, it must hurt you. Well, no, no, these I, are, it, it's your family. It's no, the I, last story. But, but, it's but, your but, story. But it's end, you. But it's, I knew there's three more stories. And I knew that was going to probably take, you know, to do it right would take about 10 years. And I said, I'm 70. I don't know whether I'll be here when I'm 80. You know, every 10 years, the odds get less. And uh, so I said, and I'm not ready to do that because I want to do these other things. So I have to make the decision on my own that it's time for me to move on. So it wasn't like they were taken away from me or they were thinking, and they felt they knew, you know, they wanted to do a retro movie. I don't like that. I like, I, every movie I worked very hard to make them different. I make them completely different with, you know, different planets with different spaceships with different you know to make it new so and, are you at peace with this yeah as much as you can be yeah no I was I said look I'm fine then you get to the thing which is another thing that I'd been through fortunately I'm old enough to have been through all this stuff before uh, and that one is to say I had to do it and then you do end up with this thing which is you know you got to live with it and people are going to talk about it and all that kind of stuff it's like talking about your divorce or something it's just it's awkward but it's not painful. Do you have within you something um, that's a series of small personal films you've said? That's what right. you want to do. No more great Star Wars kind of adventure for George Lucas. No, no. That's over. Yeah. These are little tiny movies that are experimental. They aren't using the same structure. Uh, I'm going back to where American Graffiti was, where or THX where I've completely changed the way you tell a story in using cinema. It's back, I've produced a few films that were like this, but they weren't like what I would do. 
but they were using the visual style rather than the book. Here's what's exciting, George. What's exciting is that all of the stuff that's within you that made all of this, whether it's THX or American Graffiti or Star Wars or all that you contributed to Indiana Jones, it's all within you. It's who you are. And you can apply that in any way. Because that, in the end, is what you brought. It is your ideas and your insight is what you brought to film. And at the same time, I've been fascinated with the medium and I've been fascinated with the the true nature of the medium, which is very different. It's been used more as a recording medium than as a art form unto itself. And that's where the kind of movies that I made that are sort of, they call, they call them tone poems. But in the beginning, like in Russia, there was, this was a whole movement of how do you tell visual stories, um, basically without dialogue, without, uh, you know, all the things that you use to tell a story and you just use the film itself. It's kind of esoteric. I'm gonna to try to take it, it hasn't come much further in 100 mm-hmm. years. I'm gonna to try to take it into something that is more emotionally powerful than some of the, most of the stuff we've done up to this point. Thank you for doing this. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>